0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. As promised on last week's show, today's show will feature a couple of guests. One will be Dr. John Linner. Dr. Linner served as a naval medical officer in World War II and was present at both the Normandy invasion and the subsequent uh, attack on Okinawa. He promises to be a most interesting guest in our second segment today. We're also going to speak with uh, one of Sacramento's uh, foremost activists, Jeannie Keltner, will be joining us to talk about uh, some of her efforts in the past, which have included Because People Matter, an excellent uh, local newspaper and her efforts on uh, cable access television with a program called Soapbox. And I would like to note on next week's program, we expect to have uh, Michael Bonna, a film documentarian for the National Geographic and others, who will be reporting into us uh, from New Zealand as regards uh, what's going on in the oceans. Let's begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which in our case today is December 18th. And I must say, looking over uh, the events of this day in history, it was kind of a blah day. And you know that's got to be the case when you get entries like this. December 18th, 1603. Dutch Admiral Stephen van der Hagen's fleet departs to the East Indies, one of the first voyages in support of the Dutch East India Company. Or this one. December 18th, 1719. The U.S. claim to Mother Goose begins with the publication in Boston, Massachusetts of Mother Goose's Melodies for Children by Thomas Fleet. And the hits keep coming December 18th, 1796. The Baltimore Monitor publishes the first U.S. Sunday edition of a newspaper. No, in in all the years we've been doing this, I gotta say, this is the biggest strikeout day I've ever seen. December 18th, 1839, English photographer John William Draper takes the first celestial photograph, a daguerreotype of the moon. December 18th, 1957, Japan is admitted to the United Nations. And finally, on December 18th, on the lamest days of the year apparently, in 1974, just 10 days following a referendum that abolished the Greek monarchy, Legal scholar Michaelis Stasinopoulos was elected president. So ladies and gentlemen, if any of you out there are planning in some way to make history, I think you should probably do it on December 18th. Because if we ever do a program again on December 18th, we'll have something better to talk about. Our quote of the day comes from Iraqi journalist Muntadahar al-Zaidi, who said as he threw both of his shoes at President Bush, This is a farewell kiss, you dog. This is from the widows, the orphans, and those who were killed in Iraq. Mr. Al-Zaidi has gained folk hero status throughout the Arab world after throwing both shoes at Bush. We have been very critical of the Bush administration on this program, and we do want to note, for the record, Bush was able to dodge the shoe quite smartly. Reportedly, an investigative judge will review the evidence in this case and decide whether Al-Zaidi should stand trial, a process that could take months. And one thing is clear, at least some aspects of American democracy have been successfully exported to Iraq. For the record, U.S. authorities have announced that it's clear in this case there was only a single Schumann. Our quip of the day, and this has to be one of the all-time great movie reviews, both for its succinctness and cuttingness. We mentioned a couple weeks back that they're remaking The Day the Earth Stood Still, the 1951 sci-fi classic film. The quip comes from film critic Alonzo Duralde, who reviewed the movie very succinctly with just three words for MSNBC, which were "Cloutu Barada Stinko." (laughs) If you get the joke, that's pretty funny. If you don't get the joke, we have to explain that in the original, the most one of the most famous lines in sci-fi film history was uttered by actress Patricia Neal to the robot Gort. She was repeating the lines given to her by the Spaceman, played by Michael Rennie, which were Barada, Nikto. By saying this, she was able to avert the robot going wild and destroying planet Earth. And yes, when you have to explain the joke, it, it isn't funny. But wow, if you did, <laughs> when I read that, it just made my morning a few days back. In fact, we'll excerpt a little more from that review a little later in the program. Our joke of the day, oddly enough, comes from John Kenneth Galbraith, the economist, who once said, meetings are indispensable when you don't want to do anything. Our stat of the day comes from USA Today that cites the fact a few weeks back that packs of feral dogs have killed dozens of people, dozens of people, in Baghdad in recent months, prompting officials to launch a campaign to capture and kill the animals. Reportedly, the number of strays terrorizing the streets of the capital has grown to more than one thousand. Now you can say what you want about the dictator Saddam Hussein. Packs of wild, feral dogs were not killing people in the streets of Baghdad under his regime. And we'll have more to say about Iraq a little bit later as well. But first, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. of the week magazine. It was a good week a couple weeks back for Alaska Governor Sarah Palin when it was revealed that in addition to more than a dozen offers to write a book, the former GOP vice presidential candidate is considering about 800 requests for interviews and appearances, a list which includes invitations to make appearances in 20 foreign countries with all expenses paid. It was conversely a bad week for the credibility of Robert Mugabe, if such a thing can be said to exist. When the state-run Herald newspaper in Zimbabwe quoted the information minister as blaming the recent cholera epidemic on, quote, serious biological chemical war, a genocidal onslaught on the people of Zimbabwe by the British. And it was an ugly week last week for hardcore fans of 1980s music when it was revealed that Boy George, the flamboyant former culture club frontman, was convicted for falsely imprisoning a male escort. It's according to the reports, Norwegian escort Andun Carlson alleged that he was handcuffed to a wall hook in the singer's East London apartment. Prosecutors said Carlson was held by the singer, whose real name is George O'Dowd, for less than an hour. According to Carlson, O'Dowd swung a metal chain at him when he got loose and fled the apartment following a, quote, naked photo shoot, unquote. Boy George was released on bail following the verdict and is scheduled to be sentenced January 16th. False imprisonment carries a maximum sentence of life in prison. In this case, uh, uh, it is not expected that such a severe sentence will be meted out.
1: Do you really want to hurt?
0: All right, let's uh, let's go to the mailbag. We'd like to thank Steven Valentino, former KZFR DJ and KDVS general manager, for uh, something that we had not noticed, which was that on December 10th, George W. Bush awarded numerous Presidential Citizens Medals, which is the second highest honor for a civilian in the United States. It is uh, set up to recognize Americans who have performed exemplary deeds of service for the nation. Past recipients have included civil rights icon Dorothy Height and legendary boxer Muhammad Ali. Among the 24 recipients for this year's award, George W. Bush included Charles Colson, the first member of the Nixon administration to serve prison time for Watergate-related offenses. And in case you don't remember Chuck Colson, he was the special counsel to President Nixon, Nixon's hatchet man, described as the evil genius of an evil administration. According to Watergate historian Stanley Cutler, Colson once sought to hire Teamsters thugs to beat up anti-war demonstrators. He plotted to raid or firebomb the Brookings Institution. Famously once said he, was, he would run over his own grandmother to get Richard Nixon re-elected in 1972. And eventually pleaded guilty to scheming uh, to defame Daniel Ellsberg and in interfering with his trial. Among the lesser known crimes of Watergate was an effort by Nixon's Plumbers to break into Daniel Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office in an effort to find material with which to discredit him. It's easy to see why this man would be worthy of recognition by George W. Bush. Although the reason cited for his, uh, his receiving the Presidential Citizens Medal was the fact that he's become an evangelical prison reformer running the nonprofit Prison Fellowship. It should be noted that Colson has advised conservative politicians, including former Texas Governor George W. Bush, and has worked with Christian right-wing leaders Pat Robertson and James Dobson on the development of political strategy. Heck of a guy, Chuck Colson, and now one of the latest Presidential Citizens Medal recipients. Thank you for that, Mr. Valentino. And as a follow-up on our mentioning of Condi Rice's effort uh, to uh, rewrite history... Uh, regarding the Bush legacy, we were sent an email from Millie, which quoted from a Condoleezza Rice article uh, written in 1999 urging for Saddam Hussein's removal. It's uh, one paragraph. I think I'll read the whole thing and, and see if you can determine where there's a lapse in logic. Condoleezza Rice As history marches toward markets and democracy, some states have been left by the side of the road. Iraq is the prototype. Saddam Hussein's regime is isolated. His conventional military power has been severely weakened, his people live in poverty and terror, and he has no useful place in international politics. He is therefore determined to develop WMD. So did you catch the discontinuity there? He's isolated, he's weakened, his people live in poverty, he has no useful place. He is therefore determined to develop WMD. But in fairness, I must say say there's nothing in the article that says we must invade so that packs of feral dogs can maul people and kill them in the streets of Baghdad. And we also got some input from Kevin, who wondered aloud whether uh, Bush's Secret Service team kind of got together and said, you know what, next time, let's just move a little slow. Because Kevin timed the YouTube video and noted that it was six seconds from shoe number two till the security forces being on top of the reporter. And Shanta sent us an email that I want to quote from, from the NPR website, noting that on on Morning Edition on October 9th, the following was reported. The Nobel Prize in Chemistry was awarded this week to three scientists working in the United States with a jellyfish protein that glows in the dark. But the scientist who found the gene for that protein and gave it to the eventual Nobel winners is no longer working in the field. He now drives a shuttle bus for an auto dealership. The three chemistry uh, winners have advanced our understanding of the inner workings of cells by using the jellyfish protein to tag the tiny intricate parts. But to do that, back in the 1990s, these scientists first needed the gene that creates the glowing protein. One of the winners, Roger Sen of the University of California, San Diego, said he was lucky. At just the right time, a a researcher named Douglas Prasher at the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution in Massachusetts isolated the gene that Sen wanted. So I found his number and called him up, and to my amazement, he was willing to give out the gene, said Cien. Another laureate, Martin Chalfie of New York's Columbia University, also got his gene from Prasher. But Prasher no longer works in science. He's now driving a courtesy shuttle for a car dealership in Huntsville, Alabama. I got a hard luck story, he says. Prasher doesn't have any regrets about giving away the gene. Shannon Chaffee did great work, he says, which he probably couldn't have done because the National Institutes of Health had rejected his funding proposals. At the time, I knew I was going to get out of it. My funding had already run out, says Prasher. He went to work for a laboratory run by the USDA, then took a job with NASA. But uh, two and a half years ago, NASA cut his project and Prasher lost his job. He tried to find a job in science, but failed. So he went to work at the car dealership. He did note that I meet new people every day and hear all kinds of stories, some which I don't need to hear because I'm kind of a bartender. But he reports the job does not pay enough to support his family. Our savings is gone, just just totally gone, says Pressure. And by the way, those of you out there in the scientific community, Pressure is still looking for a research job, although he worries that after two and a half years, his knowledge and skills may be out of date. But that's not what some of his former colleagues say. One of one called pressure current situation. A staggering waste of talent. This month, the two researchers, along with Japanese researcher Osamu Shimomura, will go to Stockholm and receive almost a half million dollars between them. Said Douglas Prasher, If the Reverend Huntsville, they need to take me out to dinner. Will somebody out there please give this man a job if you have any, any positions in your laboratory here in Northern California or elsewhere? All right, here's some follow-up on something we talked about some months back. Uh, the media is now saying that China is blocking websites. And by the way, we're happy to report on events in China because we discovered recently that we have at least a couple of listeners in Hong Kong. But writing in the New York Times, Keith Bradshaw notes that the Chinese government has quietly began preventing access again to websites it had stopped blocking during the Olympic Games in China in August. That's according to Internet experts. A Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman said the Chinese government had a right to censor websites that violate the country's laws. Spokesman Liu Jianchao defended China's monitoring of the Internet by saying that other countries also restricted access to some websites. And although it is true that recently Britain and Australia have both moved to limit the distribution of child pornography over the Internet, and Germany does require search engines not to show links to websites linked to Nazi activity, Web experts have noted that uh, in contrast to these other countries, the Chinese government defines crime very broadly. It imposes censorship with little of any explanation and provides no process for operators of blocked websites to appeal censorship decisions. People predicted that once, uh, the, glow, once the international spotlight was taken off of China, as it was, uh, as it, as it was during the summer, this would happen, and, and, it, and it is happening. And the Sacramento Bee reprinted on December 14th, an article from the New York Times by James Glantz and T. Christian Miller about uh, the recent report on um, the failure to rebuild Iraq. The authors are referring to an unpublished 513-page federal history of the U.S.-led reconstruction of Iraq, which depicts an effort crippled before the invasion by Pentagon planners who were hostile uh, to the idea of rebuilding a foreign country. The effort was then molded into a $100 billion failure by bureaucratic turf wars, spiraling violence and ignorance of the basic elements of Iraqi society and infrastructure. The official account was labeled Hard Lessons, the Iraq Reconstruction Experience, and circulated in draft form in New York and Washington among a tight circle of technical reviewers, policy experts, and senior officials. One part of this that did get a little bit of traction in the news was the fact uh one passage that referred to former Secretary of State Colin Powell quoted as saying that in the months after the 2003 invasion, the Defense Department, quote, kept inventing numbers of Iraqi security forces. The number would jump 20,000 a week. We now have 80,000. We now have 100,000. We now have 120,000. And Powell's assertion that the Pentagon inflated the numbers of competent Iraqi security forces is backed up by Lieutenant General Ricardo Sanchez, the former commander of ground troops in Iraq, and L. Paul Bremer, a top, the top civilian administrator until the Iraqi government took over in June of '04. we would refer you to uh, the web to see if you can't find this article and uh, the reporting on it anyway, uh, which is quite worthy of attention as is a report that came out a few days earlier from uh, the Inspector General. An article on this from David Goldstein, uh, writing for McClatchyDC.com. This is pretty incendiary. The military apparently ignored steps before the invasion of Iraq that could have prevented the staggering number of casualties from roadside bombs, according to the Pentagon's acting Inspector General. This notes that although the Pentagon was aware of the fact that a, in a low-intensity conflict, mine-resistant vehicles uh, would be an issue, they didn't, in fact, uh, develop requirements for, fund, or acquire safer vehicles. We talked about, on this, we talked about this issue on this show a couple years back, that even after the war was underway, as these devices, these uh, IEDs, improvised explosive devices, uh, were, were, were taking a lot of a toll on our troops, that uh, the commanders in the field were pressing for vehicles that were better protected. But the Pentagon was slow to react. Said Missouri Republican Senator Kit Bond, it appears that some bureaucrats at the Pentagon have much to explain to the families of American troops who were killed or maimed when a life-saving solution was within reach. And indeed they do. Tell You read about this and you think George Bush was lucky to have only a shoe thrown at him. And as regards that incident, you can bet we're going to get some input from our old pal, Will Durst.
1: Well, thanks, Doug. And today I want to talk about how surreal it was to see President Bush look into the soul of another foreigner while a shoe was being thrown at him during a press conference on a surprise visit to Iraq. Now, I've always said he may be a lame duck, but he's one hell of a ducker. The biggest shock is how well he went to his left. And thank God it was a surprise visit, or the guy might have had time to assemble weapons more powerful than size 10s. Size 13s might have actually worked. Internationally, folks are pissed at Muntadr al-Zaidi, the irate Iraqi TV reporter slash shoe-flinger, not because of his if-the-shoe-flies hurl-it philosophy, but because his aim was so bad, and he stopped after two shoes. That's right, he's on the receiving end of worldwide scorn because he's not a centipede. Another amazing thing was how slow the Secret Service response was. Do they have the B team in there? Of course, closing ranks, the CIA is backing them up by advancing the single shoe theory. Maybe this is a shop opportunity, a way to get our country back on its feet again, convince future footwear tossers to support our domestic shoe industry and buy American. Can't you just see the next Nike ad? Big wind up, start the throw, freeze frame, zoom in on a photoshopped swoosh on the side. Just do it. And from now on, you won't actually have to throw anything. Just freak people out by bending down real fast and taking one shoe off and then pick a stone out of it or something. Of course, as certain liberal activists get their way, this will just be the first in a long line of things being chucked at the president until eventually the book is thrown at him and it sticks. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst.
0: Always a pleasure having Mr. Durst on this program. And thank you to Jackie, who wrote in to say that she's a big Will Durst fan. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Let's take a short break and then come back and talk to John H. Lynner M.D., about his experiences in World War II. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.